What do Shakespeare, J.S. Bach, and Michelangelo have to do with the life of faith? In this episode, I want to ask that question and point you to a recent book that helps to discuss that topic a bit more. Hello friends, Pastor Tim Westermeyer here. Thanks for spending a little time to be with me today. Uh, I have in mind today for this episode uh, a theme from C.S. Lewis, uh, which I've thought about many times. I think it's been brought up in this space before called chronological snobbery, which sounds like a fancy word, and I guess we're a couple of words. It comes from one of his books, uh, Surprised by Joy, which is uh, his own uh, autobiography, The Shape of My Early Life is the subtitle. Let me read just a short bit from that book about what chronological snobbery means, and then I want to unpack it a little bit. Um, he's talking, by the way, in his own move towards Christianity of how some of his friends challenged some of the assumptions or preconceptions he had about the world, which ended up leading him to Christian faith. And he says, in the first place, he, a friend of his, made short work of what I have called my chronological snobbery, which is this, the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate common to our own age and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is on that account discredited. I know that's a complicated sentence. I'm going to give some examples of this. Um, and then he goes on to say, uh, you must find out why it went out of date. Was it ever refuted? And if so, by whom? Where? And how conclusively? Or did it merely die away as fashions do? And then this really important point. If the latter, if it's simply this idea from the past died away as fashions do, this tells us nothing about its truth or falsehood. And from seeing this, one passes to the realization that our own age is also a period and certainly has, like all periods, its own characteristic illusions. Okay, now this is something I've thought a lot about, I think a lot about for all kinds of reasons, and I'll get to why it's sort of on my mind right now. But I want to give a few, um, I think, fair and appropriate examples of this that sort of bring this idea of chronological snobbery to life. And again, I guess in my own language, I would say chronological snobbery is assuming that, well, since we live in 2021, we are obviously more smart and sophisticated and intelligent and wise and everything else than everyone who has ever lived. It's sort of this assumption that because of the time that we live in uh, and because that 2021 is earlier than, let's say, 1500, we are necessarily smarter and wiser. And if you study sort of the facts of things, I think you begin to realize pretty quickly, huh, Maybe that's not the way the world works. Now, again, a few specific examples of this to, I think, I hope, make the point. And I'm going to bring them from uh, art and also from, I guess, literature, I'd call it. So, for example, if I said to you, well, Shakespeare was okay. He did all right as a poet and a playwright. But, you know, he lived a long time ago, the 15 and 1600s, so obviously he's not as good as the people living today. You would say, wait, well, what, what does that have to do with anything? He was a genius. He was amazing. And yeah, there have been other people who have written things maybe as good, maybe not, but when he lived has nothing to do with it. Or what if I said to you, you know that statue David, which I was privileged to see in person a couple, couple summers ago, I guess, it was okay. But obviously, we all know that since it was carved by that, you know, 
piker Michelangelo in whenever he lived, when did he live, the 14 and 1500s, uh, that was a long time ago. And so clearly he wasn't as smart or sophisticated or talented as someone who lives today. We'd say, well, no, that's not the way it works. It's a work of genius. It's amazing. Uh, it's beautiful. And it's always going to be beautiful. I think we would say that, right? Same about uh, someone like J.S. Bach. You know, it's funny, there are arguments or proofs for the existence of God. One of them is J.S. Bach lived, therefore God exists, uh, because he was such an incredible, towering, monumental composer, a genius. And again, no one would say, well, yeah, he was okay, but he lived a long time ago. And because of that, obviously, he's not as good as people living today. I hope the point is starting to be made. And I would pick up now, I mentioned a theme from literature. It's actually from the Bible. It's actually a parable of Jesus's. We all know it. It's the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is a story made up by Jesus 2,000 years ago about a Samaritan who the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along well, and there's a Jewish man who's injured on the road and a couple of other people who should have stopped didn't. The Samaritan, who should have hated the guy who was injured, does stop and helps the man, and he heals him, and he leaves money behind so that the man can continue to uh, get stronger at a hotel effectively. Which of us would say, well, that was a good story, but that was 2,000 years ago. Things have changed since then. Now we would no longer support the idea that we as human beings who care about other human beings should help people in need even if they can't repay us. We would say again, well, no, that's, there's something true about that story that's still true 2,000 years ago. I, th I'm, I'm making a very modest and simple point here, which is simply that, um, again, just because we live in 2021, uh, maybe there are things that have always been true and always been beautiful and always been good and that they never really change. Um, I am thinking about this right now because a recent book was published, or a book was published recently, about one of C.S. Lewis's lesser known works. The C.S. Lewis book is called The Abolition of Man. Lewis himself considered it perhaps his most important book. It's not very long or big. Um, it's right here, it's a tiny little volume. Um, but a book was written about the abolition of man. Uh, it's called After Humanity. Uh, a Guide to C.S. Lewis's Abolition of Man. It's by a gentleman named Michael Ward. You maybe won't remember that name, but he's actually the author of um, a book called Planet Narnia. And he was here at St. Philpadeacon in 2009 for the Faith and Life Lecture Series. Uh, I would commend this to you as well. It's about the Chronicles of Narnia and a, a, sort of the interpretive key for the, the Chronicles of Narnia. Michael Ward is considered one of the foremost experts on C.S. Lewis living today. And so this book, After Humanity, which again was just published, we'll leave a link to how you can get it below. Um, which, by the way, we have obviously have nothing to do with its publication, um, nor would we profit from any sales, but it's worth reading. I'm actually reading it right now. <clears throat> and I don't have time to go into the details of the abolition of man, but as just an example um, of this point I'm making about maybe there are consistent truths, maybe there's something that is continually good throughout the world that does not change in the appendix to the abolition of man, again, by C.S. Lewis, who was a Christian, clearly, 
And this book uh, isn't intended to suggest that he isn't, but he sort of goes in a way to a deeper place of our common humanity with everyone who has ever lived uh, in every place and time. And so the appendix is uh, where he lifts up examples of what he references as the Tao, T-A-O, which comes from um, Chinese philosophy. It's about the way or the truth. It's about uh, the fundamental thing that makes us human. And he lifts up examples of this from every conceivable um, culture in the world. So in the appendix, in the first two pages alone, he lifts up examples from ancient Egypt, from ancient um, Judaism, from Old Norse, from Babylonian culture, from the Hindu culture, from ancient Chinese, from Roman culture, um, again from Old Norse. Eventually he gets to an example from Christian or Christianity, and then he has things even from Native Americans or Aboriginal Australians. So again, he's trying to make the point, there seems to be something uh, in our humanity that points to what is, I would say, good and true and beautiful. And those things do not change uh, over time. Uh, I could say a lot more about this, but in the interest of time, I think I'm going to let it go there. I will, I'd sort of like to let you sit, though, with those examples of um, Shakespeare or David or Bach or the story of the Good Samaritan and just reflect on whether in your own mind, in your own life, uh, there is something in you that does think, yeah, I'm I and everyone who lives right now, we're smarter than other people. And allow that sort of thought experiment to play itself out and just see where it leads you. If you have questions about this, as always, I would love to hear back from you. If you think, yeah, Tim, I don't really buy that. I'm not sure what you're saying. Uh, help me understand it more. Feel free to reach out to me as well. And again, I would commend uh, any of Michael Ward's books, including this most recent one called After Humanity. Uh, thank you, as always, for spending a little time with me. I hope you're well. Stay in touch, and God bless. Mm -hmm.